Well, it's good to be with you all tonight. I appreciate the invitation to be here with you and to see you all having a good time. I hope everybody's having a good time. And what we want to do now is look at the Word of God. How many of you have read or have heard read the book of Jude in the New Testament? No, book of Jude. Okay, a good number of you. Anybody know who Jude is? Of the young people, I mean. The young people answer. Anybody know who Jude is? He's the, he's the half-brother. We call him half-brother of our Lord Jesus. In other words, Joseph and Mary, after they had Jesus Christ... Let me use this. Joseph and... Try to bring this around. Joseph and Mary, after they had Jesus Christ, they had four other boys... And at least two girls, because it says sisters in Matthew 13. His sisters are here with us. And then the names of the four boys are given. James, Joseph, Jude. It's just listed as Judas there. So he takes the abbreviated form, Jude. And so he and James, the author of the letter of James, grew up. Can you imagine growing up at home with your oldest brother being God in a human body? Jesus Christ. Here you are sitting down at dinner. I mean, he, he worked there at home as a carpenter until he was 30 there in Nazareth. So Jude has this desire in his heart to help God's people. After the Lord Jesus died on the cross and then he rose from the grave, somewhere after his resurrection, Jude and James, and we don't know, maybe the other brothers too, received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They were born again. Hopefully the sisters did too, but the Bible doesn't tell us about the sisters. We know Mary did, and Mary was with the early church in chapter 1 of Acts. So that's pretty dynamic, right? I mean, it was hard for them growing up to have Jesus Christ right there doing a lot of the common things, and yet He's God. Of course, He was perfect. Now, some of us who have older brothers or older sisters, we're told that they're perfect, and sometimes we're compared to them. Of course, none of them are, and neither are we, but the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect. And so we see then, you want me to use that? That one I take care of. That. Thank you. I should have asked for that earlier. To me, that's a wonderful thing. When you're involved in ministry of the Word, or if you're involved in ministry with the youth group, or with the children's ministry, or even as parents, 
One of the things that we admire in good parents or good youth leaders is that they protect, right? That they protect us from bad things that are out there. I think all of us know that there are a lot of bad things out there in the world. Things that can bring a lot of harm to us. And Jude knew that. So he begins his letter, he says, I started to write a letter to tell you about your great salvation and what it is to be born again. Things that Paul writes a lot about those things, right? And Peter writes about them in First and Second Peter. But Jude says, the Lord took me in a different direction. See, the Spirit of God was working in each of these men as they wrote these books in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, of course. And, he's, and the Spirit of God took him in a different direction and he wanted to warn the people of God about the danger of false teachers that would be among them. And the way he describes it is they, they're going to sneak in, he says, for cert, verse 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. That is... The kind of false teachers he's talking about are going to come in and they're not going to have false teacher written on their t-shirt. Right? And they're not going to look real strange. They're going to look like someone that you would trust. Someone that you would admire. Someone that may be a good speaker. Someone that may be handsome or have a good personality. And someone that you might be drawn to follow after them. See? But the problem is... They're not born again. They don't know the Lord. They're just pretending. Now, sometimes we play a game like that, right? Where you pretend to be something you're not. You know, sometimes you can play, play that. And when you're playing a game like that, that that's pretty harmless because everybody knows you're pretending, right? But when you're talking about eternal life and where you're going to spend eternity after you die, because all of us, it's appointed unto man to die, and then after that, the judgment. All of us are going to face death until the, unless the Lord comes first. And so it's to me, it's a really important thing to know. I know when I was young, uh, some of the people that came into my life that claimed to be God's teachers, claimed to be people that cared about my soul, cared about where I was going to spend eternity. And I admired them. I wanted to follow after them. We had Bible studies together and we went to camps together and things. And then a few years later, I found out it was all a fake. They were just pretending. They didn't really care about my soul. What did they care about? Being popular, having a following, and in some cases... They're doing it for money. To take away our money. So Jude talks about that. And he exposes them in a very graphic way. I encourage you, when you get a chance maybe this week, to pull out your New Testament and read the book of Jude. It's, it's the book right before the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. Jude, just a short letter right before it. He'll even talk about the angels who fell. He'll talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that existed back many years ago in the area of the Middle East, down at the bottom of the Dead Sea area. They've uncovered those two cities that they believe are, Sodom and Gomorrah. He'll talk about 
how God brought judgment in each of those cases. And that He'll bring judgment on these false teachers that He's writing about too. But God's not going to bring the judgment until the end of this age. We'll look at that some on Sunday too when we look at Matthew 13 because our Lord talks about those things in the mystery parables discourse too. But when Jude wraps up his letter, in just a couple of verses, he gives seven different things that believers can do in days of apostasy. Now, what does the word apostasy mean? Anybody heard that term, know what that means? What is an apostate? Or apostasy. Well, it's someone that started to follow after the Lord Jesus, started to have an interest in the gospel, but then rejected him and went the opposite way. That's what the Bible calls an apostate. It's someone, not someone who's just unsure, because there are a lot of people that are unsure. They're trying to work it through in their mind, and God gives us a lot of room to do that. But this is someone who started to follow after. They understood the gospel. They weren't interested, and they reject Christ and go the other way. Now, I know none of you are that here in this room that are that way tonight, because if you were, you wouldn't be in this room tonight. An apostate wouldn't come to youth group come to a Bible study. But what about those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ? Or maybe some of you are you're not quite sure yet, but you want to have eternal life. You want to know where you're going to go, where you're going to spend eternity, where you're going to be forever. You want to know more about God. What are the things that you can do? What are the things that I can do to protect ourselves when there's so much danger around us? And Jude lists seven things. You know what the first thing is? But you, beloved, this is verse 20 if you're looking, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The first thing is building yourself up on your most holy faith. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Scriptures, the Word of God in Growing in your understanding of the truths of the Word of God. Because your most holy faith, here as faith is used, it's the summary of the doctrine that we believe in. And so that is the first protection on the list. That's why, like tonight, we're having Bible study. And why we encourage you to be in your Bibles reading in some sort of a regular schedule. Hopefully you're on some sort of annual schedule. You're reading through the Bible in a year or in two years or however you work your own schedule. That's up to you. But, beloved, if we're not growing in our understanding of the truths of the Scriptures, you know what's happening? There's no real neutral ground. If we're not growing, we're regressing. We're losing ground. Because you can't just stay neutral when it comes to the Christian life and growth in the Christian life. And when we're in a hostile environment like we are in this world system with evil and immorality and error all around us, and we have an enemy that's outside of us, the devil, and we have another enemy that's outside of us, the world system that's run by the devil, 
He's the prince of the power of the air that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. And then we have an enemy on the inside, our old nature. So we have these three enemies. <laughs> and if we're not building ourselves up on our most holy faith, we're going to be regressing. And if we're regressing, we're vulnerable to temptation, the devil or the world system or some evil person will exploit us and take advantage of our vulnerability. Are you with me? It's no fun being abused. It's no fun being manipulated, being used. But there are ways to protect ourselves from that, aren't there? In the, the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, one for each day of the month. The book of Proverbs has enormous wisdom about how we can protect ourselves in day-to-day -day things, the, the kind of things that come into our pathway, the dangers that come in our pathway. It's so practical. Chapter 1, it talks about friends that want to go off and do something really bad, and they want us to go along with them. And at first it says, you know, come along. You know, you, you'll share in the, the fun and maybe the money if they're going to steal something. But they don't think about the consequences that will result at the end of the path that they're on, see? And the devil never shows us the consequences. He never shows us the end path where it ends up, does he? Shows us all the fun and the glitter and all the excitement of it. That just happens at the beginning. But then, then you've got the consequences that follow. And they can be heavy and weighty. So Jude says the first thing, build yourself, be constantly building yourself up on your most holy faith. You know what the second thing is? We often talk about the Word of God and prayer, right? We see those linked together continuously in the Bible. Paul does that in, in the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying in the Spirit. Those are the two offensive weapons that we have. The rest of them are all defensive that he lists there. And here he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing. So first, be building yourself up continually in your most holy faith, understanding more and more of who God is as it's taught in the Bible, of who we are in our relationship to God of what God's plan is for this world, that He has a plan and a program, and He wants you and I to participate in it. Isn't that amazing? He made us for that. He wants to use us more than... I mean, use us in a good way. Use us as a tool for, for blessing of others. He wants to work through us. Use us like that. And more than we could ever imagine. More than we want for ourselves because we don't understand. We... We don't see the big picture that he sees. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit as opposed to just pray? What would be the difference? Why does he say pray in the Holy Spirit? You say, well, if I'm a child of God, I have the Holy Spirit. So when I'm praying, aren't I always praying in the Holy Spirit? Well, in one sense, yes, you are. Positionally, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. But he means practically praying in the Holy Spirit, which means when we pray, to pray according to the will of God. 
Now, we don't always know what the will of God is, do we? When we make prayer requests, we pray for certain things. We have certain people we know they're in real desperate trouble, maybe, and we want to intercede for them in prayer. One of the great privileges of a Christian is to intercede for someone else who's in desperate need. Someone we can't help physically. We can't be around Him protecting them all the time, but God can. And He may be waiting for one of us to intercede in prayer for that person. Maybe right now, tonight, you have someone on your heart. Someone you've known for the last few weeks who's opened their heart up to you. Someone at school or someone you work with maybe. And they've come to you and they... Why did they open their heart up to you? Why did they pick you to open up their heart to? Because they sensed that you were caring. And they might get some help. And it's our great privilege. We may not have enough money in our wallet to help them financially. We may not be able to physically help them. But we can pray in the Spirit. Pray according to the will of God for them. And that's why we will, we, God wants us to be specific when we pray, right? So we'll ask a specific thing for them. Lord, I know that my friend Marion, this is just an example. I know that my friend Marion told me that she's in a situation with her boyfriend that he wants to go to bed with her and, and, and do some bad things and, and she doesn't want to do it and she doesn't know what to do. Uh, and, and she came to me and talked to me about it. And I want to intercede for her. Lord, protect her. Give her the wisdom to make us stand at the right moment when the time comes. And that time may be coming tonight for her. We don't know. But God knows. That's the miracle of what it is to live the Christian life. To be involved in people's lives in ways that we could never be before we became a Christian. But then we always say, Lord, but your will be done in this situation because there may be other dynamics in the situation that we don't know. And so that's why I always like to pray, but Lord, your will be done. We were together with some young people in another state. I won't say where, because you might know some of these people. But we were having a week of ministry there. And uh, on one of the nights of, during the week, they said, well, we're going, to have a, we're going to have a prayer meeting. We're just going to pray. And they were young people. I was the oldest one there by far. <laughs> they were young people. And they gathered and they wanted to pray. And you know, it was one of the most fantastic prayer meetings I've ever been to. We just began to go around the room. We were sitting in a house in the living room. We ended up praying for two and a half hours. And one of the brothers, I, didn't, we, I had my eyes closed. I guess most of them did. But he, he was writing down the request as we made him. And we were just praying as the Holy Spirit put things on our heart. And it was amazing to hear some of the things they were praying for. And he was writing them down at the end of the night. He read all those things. I said, brother, I want a copy of that. I want to keep praying when I leave for these things. It was so special. It was real. And we could really sense the Lord was with us that night. It was a real special night. You all could do that too. You just decide that on a Monday night or on a Tuesday night or on a Thursday night that you're going to come together and, and it, it was just an open invitation. They announced it at the, at the chapel in the morning. Anybody could come that wanted to. But it was mainly young people that had this burden. People in their late teens and early 20s. 
and they were praying for people that they knew that were hurting. They were praying for desperate needs at the chapel, at the assembly. And you think God's not going to answer prayers like that? Oh, man. There were a lot of angels busy that night, I imagine. The Lord's sending them out to take care of various things. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It's, it's, it's an enormously tremendous privilege. There, the first four things all deal with oriented towards ourselves. The last three towards others outside of ourselves. So the first was building ourselves up in the Word of God, the Scriptures, the holy, our holy faith. Secondly, praying in the Spirit. Third, keep yourselves in the love of God. We know, those of us who are born again, we know that God loves us. He has shown us that by His Holy Spirit. And we know for sure. We've never seen God. I've never seen God. But we know from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in us that we are loved with a love that we never could get from anybody in the world. But he says, keeping yourself in the love of God. Well, if I'm always loved by God and God never changes. He's always consistent then why do I need to keep myself in the love of God? Because I can get out of the love of God. See, he's talking about fellowship with God. And what breaks fellowship with God? Sin, right? Unconfessed sin. Sin that the Holy Spirit has shown to us that we haven't confessed. That breaks fellowship with God. And like one preacher uses the example of, a, of an umbrella... You know, you, with the sun is going to be shining, especially down here in South Florida. But you can put an umbrella of sin and keep the sun from shining on you. It may be shining everywhere but on us because we've got an umbrella of sin that separates us from fellowship with God. Keeping short accounts with God. See, as soon as the Holy Spirit illuminates us to a particular area where we need to confess something, do it. You say, yeah, but I'm in the middle of an aisle at Walmart and people are all around. It doesn't matter. Do it. You can still confess. I'm taking a test at school. You can stop and pray and confess it to the Lord and give it to the Lord and be cleansed and be restored to the Lord and then go back. And I'll tell you, you do a lot better on the rest of the part of that test than you ever did before it. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. And then the fourth thing he says, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for the Lord to come back. Loving His appearing. And if we're loving His appearing, that's another thing that will purify us, won't it? Because we know when we see Him, we're going to see Him face to face. We're not going to want to be ashamed when we see Him, right? The Bible talks about that. And there's no reason why we have to be ashamed. Because if we keep short accounts and confess sins as they're brought to our attention, we not only get deliverance from those sins more quickly, but we get greater strength and sense of the communion of God and the love of God and the mercy of God in our lives. Christ is coming back for His own. And then He's going to come to this world. The Bible teaches that. We believe that. James John, Peter, Paul, they all talk about loving His appearing and looking forward with anticipation to His appearing. 
This world is under judgment. This world is not going to survive the judgment. But it is going to be changed. It's going to be a lot better when He changes it. And He's going to come back and we're going to come with Him and reign with Him on this world in a world that the whole world will be like the Garden of Eden. God's going to restore it. See, He's going to restore and reverse the curse that Adam and Eve brought onto this world when they sinned against God. And He wants you and I to be part of that. Isn't that an awesome God? He's going to have a great time whether we're there or not. <laughs> but He wants you and I to be part of it. And He says, you know, it won't be the same if you're not there and you're not there and you're not there and I'm not there. That's the kind of love our God has for us. And He wants us to have that kind of love for other people. And so the next three items all deal with how we reach out to others. We, there are things in terms of our stewardship of ourselves that we need to be careful about. But there are things we want to concern about, be concerned about with others. And he says, verse 22, And on some, some people, have compassion, making a distinction. That is, that word, that phrase, making a distinction, it's, it's people that, that have doubts. They have doubts about God. They have doubts about whether this is really the Word of God. They have doubts about whether Jesus Christ really is God in the human body. They have doubts about whether He really died on a cross and then was buried and rose again and then ascended. Forty days later, what does He tell us to do with people like that? Ignore them, make fun of them, call them names. None of those things, right? Thank God. Our God's not like that. That's what the devil's like. Our God says, have compassion on them. Give them space. That's what it means to have compassion, right? To have empathy for their situation. We don't know what all they're struggling with in their life. We haven't walked in their shoes. And so, just the opposite of being judgmental of them, he says, have compassion on them. Be available when they have questions. You say, but yeah, but I've been praying for this person for six months and they haven't asked me one question. In fact, they avoid me in the hallway. What would the Lord say? Pray another six months and have compassion and wait and pray some more and wait and be ready be available when the time comes because that time that prayer is going to get answered and that time's going to come and they're going to come knocking on your door at a critical moment in their journey and you better have the right scripture to take them to or you'll miss out on a great opportunity now you may not be the one to lead them to the Lord that doesn't matter you may be one of the steps along the way. Someone said, uh, I heard the number, 270 uh, different people are often involved in someone coming to Christ. Can you imagine that? 
Sometimes we think we're the only one helping them. 270, and you may be number 2, or you may be number 268, or you may be number 270. It doesn't matter. We're not putting notches in our belt, right? We care about where they're going to spend eternity. We care about their souls. He says, have compassion on them. And be compassionate with their doubts. Help them. Show them from the Word of God when they're ready to look at the Word of God. When they're not ready, don't push it down their throat. Don't drive them away. You with me on that? This is an area of evangelism and personal ministry. We call this personal ministry too. That is really lacking today. Because we live in a culture that, you know, the marketing idea of Madison Avenue, New York says, go get them. And if they don't, then, then come back and hit them this way. And if they don't respond, come back and hit them this way. And God says, wait on me. Have you prayed about it yet? Had a young brother that was all excited about a particular thing in the area of ministry that he wanted to do. And he was telling me all the different things that could happen. I said, have you prayed about it yet, Bobby? No, he said, I forgot. We can, we can forget. I said, well, this is, this is really important. It's a great opportunity if it's really from the Lord, but if it's not from the Lord, this could really set you back a long ways. Because the devil can sometimes tempt us with opportunities like that too, right? And it may not always be from God, so we want to be careful. And that's where praying in the Holy Spirit is a big help. So that's the first one in terms of people outside of us. Some, on some have compassion. But in verse 25, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Wow. What's he meaning when he says pulling them out of the fire? He means that some people, and we don't always know until later on looking back, right? At the moment, at the time we're sharing the Word of God with someone and trying to encourage them from the Scriptures, we don't know that they may be right on the edge of judgment, about to slip into eternity. And we don't know that. A friend of one of my cousins up in the Northeast Two girls, they went out to, there was a cheerleader party and they were having a nice time with some of their friends and I think they drank a little bit, but I don't think they drank that much. But they got in the car and they were driving home and and my cousin's friend was in the passenger side and the one driving was texting. Went around a, a, a bend and while she's texting, went straight into a telephone pole, killed my cousin's friend, she was 16 one of the star soccer players in the school, the oldest in the family, devastated the family. The, I, can, I know the parents. I could talk to them today. This happened several years ago. They're still devastated. They still miss her. It was so unnecessary. And of course, the poor girl that was driving, what do you think? She's got this on her conscience for the rest of her life. And the image of one of your friends dead in your car because of a dumb mistake that we make doesn't go away, does it? 
That'll stay with us. You wake up during the night and you see her face. So it's so important to always be ready. He says, some, we need to be ready where we discern the dangerous predicament they are in and help pull them out of it. So you see, the, the one he said, the verse right before this, those that have compassion, some you have to just give them room, right? You see how this is hard. It takes a lot of discernment to know when do I let go and when do I need to grab them by the arm and pull them out of the fire? John Wesley always said that he was a brand plucked from the burning. He grew up in a household with, I think there were 18 kids in that family. And they, they had a fire in the house. He was upstairs. He had to jump from the window. He was just a young lad, I think eight years old. He didn't want to jump. They kept telling him, you got to jump. And he barely got out in time. And he never forgot that incident. He always said, this was before he was saved, of course. He wasn't saved till he was in his mid-twenties. And he looked back after he was saved. He said, Lord, I was a brand plucked from the burning. If you hadn't plucked me out of that house, I would have died then and I would have gone to hell forever. So some, you have compassion making a difference. Others, you save with fear. Why do you have to save them with fear? Of course, we're not doing the saving. He means you save them by giving them the gospel, and Christ does the saving. God does the saving, right? We tell them about the Lord Jesus, but we do it with fear. Why? Lest we be caught in the same danger that they are in. And that brings us to the seventh one, the last one. He says, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You say, well, what's he talking about? Well, that's an image that goes back to the, the Jews understood this because of the priesthood. The priestly garments, they were to be pure when they ministered for God. And the danger when we're helping a sinner, and we want to help sinners. Amen? That's part of our mission. We want to help them. But the danger is we also have to understand our own weaknesses too. Because in some situations, we may put ourselves in a place where we would fall to temptation along with the sinner. Instead of helping them, we become defiled by their own sinfulness. I know there was a young man I knew that had a burden to minister to homosexuals up in Dallas years ago. And he would go to these homosexual bars. And I don't know how successful the ministry was. But I wondered myself in talking to this young man whether he was really, whether he, he himself was fully delivered from homosexuality. And if he wasn't fully delivered, if he was a young Christian and still had a lure, a temptation to go back to that lifestyle, then to immerse himself in that lifestyle like that was probably too big a temptation for him at that time or probably any time in his life. There may have been certain situations that he could never put himself in. Some other young friends that we had in youth group years ago in Houston, 
they, I remember him coming to me and he said, you know, we're going to go to this party. They were in high school. They had, so it was a high school party with, after a football game at somebody's house. We're going to go to this party and we're going to be a witness to them. We're not going to drink, but we're going to show them the love of Christ and we're going to witness to them. And I had my reservations about it, but I knew these young men and they were pretty solid. Okay. I was praying for them. They go to the party and eventually they start drinking along with the people that are there. And of course, when people are drinking, they're inebriated. They can't think logically usually anyway, so you're not going to be able to get connect the dots on communicating the gospel to them usually anyway. And they almost ruined their testimony. And not only that, there was a drive-by shooting at that house that night. I remember seeing the bullet holes on the, on the news when they showed the wall of that house. And one of the girls got killed, got, got hit by one of those bullets flying through there. So it's very important that while we have a heart of compassion for those that are hurting, those that are straying away from God, those that have maybe sinful problems or different disorders in their temperament and their personality, we want to help them. The gospel of Jesus Christ can help anyone like that. Can it? Is there any limitations in the power of God? No limitations in the power of God, right? He wants to work through us to be an instrument of blessing. And so what can believers do in days of apostasy? Well, these seven things that we've looked at tonight. These things, if we immerse ourselves in these things, we can guarantee by the grace of God that we will be productive, we will be protected, and that we will be a blessing to other people. Sounds like a really awesome program, doesn't it? You want to join up? I sure do. I did a long time ago. I haven't second-guessed that decision for one minute. I was an adventure seeker. I liked to get on the ragged edge, whether it was snow skiing or whether it was surfing or car racing, always on the ragged edge, close to death as possible. And thank God the Lord protected me. And a lot of, like a friend of mine said, who used to jump with motorcycles, he said, I look back now and he said, the Lord protected us from a lot of things. But the adventure of serving Jesus Christ, of helping others, being an encouragement to others, the adventure of the Christian life, compared nothing compares to the adventure of that, I can tell you that. Others can too. So I encourage all of you. Thank you all for coming out tonight. I think we're going to have uh, someone close in prayer. Maybe Brother Malcolm, you can close in prayer. And they're asking us to... Uh, Give thanks for the refreshments too, brother. Thanks again, you all, for letting me uh, be with you tonight. It's a privilege for me.